0: Last time we spoke about the successful execution of Operation KE. The Japanese feints had proven to be effective as by the time the Americans figured out what was going on, the Japanese had managed to evacuate over 10,652 men. It was an incredible achievement given the vast disparity in firepower between the Japanese and the Americans. Over six months of blood, sweat and tears had been poured over 2,500 miles of jungle that made up Starvation Island. With just mop-up operations left for Guadalcanal, now Douglas MacArthur and Admiral King sought aggressive pushes into the South Pacific. Admiral Yamamoto attempted to create a more favorable situation in the South Pacific to bring the Americans to the negotiating table, and he had failed with the loss of Guadalcanal. Now the Empire of the Rising Sun had officially lost the initiative in the war. Yet while the Solomons' campaign was drawing closer to an end, the Battle for New Guinea raged on. This episode is the Battle of WoW. Welcome back to the Pacific War podcast week by week and I'm your dutiful host Craig Watson. But before we can begin, I just want to remind you all that this podcast is only made possible through the efforts of Kings and Generals over at YouTube. Perhaps you want to learn a bit more about World War II? Kings and Generals has an assortment of episodes on World War II and much, much more. So go give them a look over at YouTube. So please, subscribe to Kings and Generals over at YouTube and continue to help us produce this content by checking out www.patreon.com slash kingsandgenerals. And hey, don't forget about our sister podcast over at The Age of Conquest, The Fall, and Rise of China podcast, written and narrated by me. And if after all that, you are still hungry for some more history, why don't you check out my personal channel, The Pacific War Channel, over at YouTube. Where I'm just now finishing up a multi-part series on aspects of the attack on Pearl Harbor you might not know about. And just a friendly reminder, I myself have a Patreon account now as well, and it can be found at www.patreon.com slash War channel, where I have created exclusive content based off of things you want to hear more about that I can't do on podcasts such as this. Give it all a look, it'll mean a lot to me. The situation in the Pacific had basically reversed with the Japanese defeat at Guadalcanal. The Japanese were now forced onto the defensive while the Allies stole the initiative and would go on the offensive. Despite the grand success of Operation KE, Guadalcanal was a decisive defeat and had dramatically drained the empire of its resources. Along with the defeat came the loss of the Bunagona area, the last toehold of the failed Operation to seize Port Moresby. Both of these large campaign losses shocked the Japanese commanders. But while Operation Kei was ongoing, the Japanese had also focused their attention on New Guinea and would embark on a new offensive. Facing mounting losses at Guadalcanal and the Bunagona-Sanananda area, General Hitoshi Imamura, acting on the orders of the Imperial HQ on January the 4th, ordered the evacuation of the remnants of his army from both places. By early February, this left 3,500 troops evacuated from The Buna Senananda area, and 13,000 from Guadalcanal. Most of these men were sick and exhausted from fighting for months, and thus they could not be reconstituted quickly. To be brutally honest, a lot of those men would never fight again, actually. Japan had basically lost more than 35,000 men fighting two futile campaigns in the end. General Imamura had decided to strongly reinforce New Guinea, but with the loss of Bunagona, the Japanese would require new landing sites. It was envisioned that the 2nd Special Naval Base Units of Rear Admiral Kamada Michiaki and the Konishi Battalion of the 21st Regiment would land at Wewak, while two battalions of the 21st Regiment, led by Lt. Col. Harada Noriyoshi, would land at Madang. These areas would be secured so that new airfields could be built up. Alongside this, the 31st Road Construction Unit would be sent to occupy Teldevo in Cape Gloucester with a force of SNLF Marines to secure a landing site at Finchaffen. The convoys carrying the Medang and Wiwak occupational forces departed from Rabaul on December the 16th, while a surface support force, including one aircraft carrier, headed south from Truk to cover the entire operation. The Wewak force reached its destination without mishap on December the 18th but the Madang force underwent both air and submarine attack off the New Guinea coast, the cruiser and flagship Tenru sinking as a result of a torpedo hit. Despite these attacks, the convoy continued to Madang and unloaded its troops early on December the 19th. By the start of the new year, the airfield construction was on way, and General Imamura planned to bring two army divisions to reinforce New Guinea consisting of the 20th and 41st Divisions, with some extra air units once the airfields were ready. Meanwhile, General Hatazo Adachi over in New Guinea had no intention of conceding Papua to the Allies. On January the 5th, he sent the Okabe detachment to Ley, a regimental group of the 51st Division led by Major General Okabe Toru. However, General MacArthur's intelligence group predicted correctly that the convoy was sailing to reinforce Ley. It was thanks to Project Ultra, which was feeding Japanese shipping codes to the United States Air Force and the Royal Australian Air Force since January the 3rd of 1943, giving them a distinct advantage. Aerial reconnaissance indicated the convoy consisted of two cruisers, four destroyers, and four transports, along the south-central coast of New Britain, alongside a considerable fighter screen. Despite some terrible weather, MacArthur's bombers with some P-38 Lightning fighter escorts claimed that they had taken down an estimated 50 aircraft, all while only losing 10 themselves. The real figures would be closer to 9 enemy aircraft being shot down. And that is a huge disparity in numbers. During the night, a sortie of Australian PBY Catalinas managed to sink one transport, killing 465 Japanese and wounding another 85. This was followed up by a strike group of 12 B-25s which hit another transport severely damaging it. Despite the air attacks, the Japanese had managed to land an estimated 4,000 troops, a sufficient number to begin a planned offensive aimed at Wao. The 51st divisional troops that had landed at Ley were the battle-hardened veterans of the China War. After the bulk of the division was ferried to Salma, the garrison there amounted to around 6,500 men. Major General Okabe sent a few hundred men down the coast to help evacuate the survivors of the Bunagona battle. This action convinced the Australians that the Japanese High Command was performing a major offensive, this time aimed at Wao. The commander of this campaign was Colonel Mirioka, leading 2,500 men. His force moved quickly, marching upon Mubo, from which he planned to use a little-known track towards Wao. In planning the route for the attack on Wao, the Japanese command had utilized a copy of pre-war Australian 1-250,000-scaled, unquartered map of the region. Okabe ended up selecting an old and direct track parallel to what is called the Black Cat Track, which was later termed the Jap Track. However, as the map showed no contours, it gave no real indication of the extreme difficulty of the terrain through which the route would pass. Once they left the Black Cat Track, the Japanese would also have to hack a path through the jungles, as there was no defined path towards WoW. As was the case with the disastrous Kokoda Track Campaign, the Japanese had no good maps, and they miscalculated the time it would take to make the trek over such difficult terrain. More crucial was the lack of supply dumps. The men who would make this trek would literally have to carry their own supplies, a reoccurring nightmare for the Japanese in the Pacific, as we have seen. General Blamey saw the threat posed by the Japanese reinforcing the garrison at Ley, and wrote to General Herring on January the 8th, whether the intention of this force is to push forward from Ley and salamala areas towards Wau remains to be seen. This event has always been present in my mind, and I have kept the 17th Brigade AIF intact either to meet this threat or as the spearhead of an advance in this area." General Blamey then dispatched his plans for the disposition of Allied forces in New Guinea. The US 41st Division would retain the Buna area, while the battered 32nd Division would be withdrawn to the mainland for refitting and training. The 32nd would be replaced by two Australian brigades, one of them being the 17th Brigade coming up from Milna Bay. The 17th Brigade was led by Brigadier Murray Moten, and his job was to defend Wao and its approaches. In order to pull this off, the two and sixth and the two and seventh had to be brought up as fast as possible. On the thirteenth, leading elements of the two and 6 were landed at Wow, but terrible weather forced many others to turn back. Some of which were aircraft carrying Moten and his main sections of his HQ, who had to turn back to Port Moresby. Despite the weather setback, the bulk of the two and sixth, twenty-eight officers and five hundred thirty-five men, were fully unloaded by the nineteenth. As the weather cleared up, the rest of the two and sixth and the leading elements of the two and fifth arrived and Moton sent Lieutenant Colonel Starr to command the two and fifth, taking those men down a trail towards the Mobo area. Meanwhile, the two and sixth were given the task of defending the Bololo Valley. General Herring promised Blamey he would expedite the transport for the rest of the two and fifth as fast as possible, and the main body would arrive by the twenty seventh. Moen received word that the Japanese were moving into the Guadalgazal Gap area, but he believed this was defensive in nature. He wrote to Blamey stating this. The raid on Mubo had undoubtedly disturbed the Japanese commander, and I feel he fears that it might be a preliminary to an attack on the Salamawa area similar in strength to those which had defeated him at Buna and Sanananda. And so it was, Moten seemed to believe Wao was in no real danger for the time being, because the Japanese were simply reacting to the Allied movements. But he was quite wrong in this assessment. On the 24th, Captain Winning was leading a patrol and he confirmed the Japanese were marching towards the village of Wandumi, using a trail hardly used by anybody, covered thickly in vegetation. It was parallel to what is called the Black Cat Trail, and the Japanese had cleverly chosen it to hide their movements. When Mon received the news, he immediately sent the 2 and 6 from the Black Cat Mine area to launch an offensive to stop the Japanese advance. Meanwhile, Okabe's men were managing to evade the Allies by using the so-called Jap track, but the difficult terrain was taking a heavy toll and the food was beginning to dwindle. The Japanese began their march carrying 14 days' worth of rations as they had departed Salamawa, and they were told that that amount that they carried would last them 20 days. This led Okabe to try and raise morale for the men by shouting out to them, We are short of food! Let us quickly capture Wow and get the food from the enemy! Okabe's men were having a horrible time trekking through the vegetation and Okabe began considering pulling back to Mubo to replenish supplies. But then his scouts discovered that Wow was within their reach. Okabe was encouraged, so he continued the march, and then he sent a coded message back to Salamao stating he was going to capture Wow and that he urgently needed more supplies. But the reply that he received back was this. Immediately occupy Wow and secure supplies from the enemy. I do talk about it quite a lot when it comes to this series, but more and more the Japanese and, well, by that I mean the Imperial Japanese Army, are going to use this tactic of living off the land, so to say, more and more often. Instead of taking the time to properly bring men to a location, or an island for that matter, with proper provisions, they will simply tell them that they're going to have to make ends meet by foraging. or in this case, by taking food from the enemy. Now, of course, the other side of the coin is that the Japanese can't even afford to provision most of its men at this point. Thus, when we say the Japanese have lost the initiative in the war, it almost always goes unnoticed that this also meant that the Japanese logistical capabilities were all but completely crushed now. They basically couldn't really extend that far into the Solomons, or, or New Guinea for that, for that matter. They just simply didn't have the resources to do so. And I mean, just from a shipping point of view, they are crippling their own wartime economy back home, just losing transports and destroyers. It was at Wendume, on the morning of the 28th, when the Japanese fell upon some Australian positions manned by Company A, led by Captain Wilfred Sherlock. Marioca had planned to attack while that very night using his 1st battalion on the left flank, the 2nd battalion on the right flank, and his 3rd battalion held in reserve. Sherlock's men were met with heavy fire, and they were forced to move to a nearby cover just southwest. They would be reinforced by a platoon of the 2nd 5th alongside some commandos, and the fighting lasted until the late afternoon. Sherlock personally led a bayonet charge to repel some Japanese infiltrators and reclaim lost territory, which ultimately allowed his men to hold on for the entire night. Sherlock's men were running out of ammunition, so Moton sent the recently landed Company C of the 2 and 5th to reinforce them. As the men arrived, Sherlock withdrew over to the Bololo River, where they performed a fighting withdrawal, hoping to delay the Japanese long enough for more reinforcements to make it over to Wow. Sherlock and his men came to a very large cedar log that had felled across the river, between two huge boulders, at a point where Crystal Creek flowed into the river. Sherlock called over to the boys, Come on, boys, as he began to straddle the log to make his way across. But as he was doing so, a Japanese machine gun company opened fire as Sherlock cried out, Are you an Aussie? As he was being fired upon, his men could hear him further say, I'll soon find out whether you are a bloody Ozzy or not. Those would be his last words as he was soon shot dead by machine gun fire. Sherlock's men would continue to resist performing a fighting withdrawal and delaying the Japanese a full day. The delaying engagement made by Sherlock and his men would turn out to be the decisive moment for the Battle of Wao. Back on the 23rd, as the fighting over in the Boonagona area had ended, this had freed up much-needed aircraft that could support Wao. 52 brand-new Dakotas of the U.S. 317th Troop Carrier Group had just arrived in Australia having been expedited as rapidly as possible as a result of General Douglas MacArthur's pleading for their use for the Buna fight. They were quickly flown over to Port Moresby to help the 374th Troop Carrier Group fly out the 17th Infantry Brigade over to Wau. Now the Australians could rely on over 40 aircraft operating daily to Wau. On January the 29th, fifty seven landings were made, bringing the majority of the two and seventh infantry battalion and the remainder of the two and fifth. The Japanese air forces had missed their opportunity to smash the transports, and only ground forces near the Wow area managed to inflict minimal damage using small arm fire. Forty aircraft had made over sixty six trips on January the thirtieth, unloading twenty five pounders of the two and first field regiment and almost seven hundred rounds of ammunition. Captain R.J. Wise would lead the artillery regiment that same day they had landed to shell a concentration of over 300 Japanese troops between the villages of Wandumi and Kasanik, alongside aerial attacks by bow fighters of the number 30 RAF squadron. The next day, 35 aircraft would make 71 trips, followed by 53 trips on February first, bringing the 2 and 3rd Independent Company. Now the Kanga force consisted of 3,000 troops, decisively turning the scale of war for Wao. After taking Wendumi, the Japanese divided their forces with their right flank following the Bololo River, attacking Sherlock's force heading northeast to Wao. The other advanced along the main road, and their HQ was established along a place called Crystal Creek, The Japanese plans unraveled quickly as the Australians attacked the advancing column, just before they hit Mubo, causing them 116 casualties. Lieutenant Colonel Seki's 2nd Battalion, headed up the main road, which was held by some Australian forces for over 48 hours, and this caused him 75 casualties. The Japanese that were not hidden well by foliage, well, the entire while they were strafed by Allied aircraft daily. On the 28th, six Japanese were moving along the Crystal Creek Road when they stumbled just 400 yards short of the airfield. When they were discovered, they were completely annihilated. A major problem Marioka's men were facing was running into steep ravines just before being ambushed by the Australians. Regardless, Marioka planned for a general attack to take place on the 29th, but this was thwarted by the arrival of over 800 fresh troops of the 2-5th and the 2-7th. They were quickly rushed over into defensive positions and they began to bombard the Japanese using 25-pounders. Okabe's men had lost the element of surprise gained by using the Jap track. Moten soon ordered the 2 and 7th to counterattack the Japanese towards a point known as Lei's Farm. One section of the battalion occupied some high ground just due west of the farm while the bulk advanced towards a key spur under artillery and motor support. The high ground section, led by Major Walker, unleashed machine gun and artillery fire into 400 Japanese moving along the road from Ley's farm, unaware of their position. The casualties were heavy, and within minutes, Australian bowfighters emerged to the scene, adding to the carnage. Despite the losses, the Japanese held firm, and they stopped Walker's section from halting their advance west. The fighting over the course of the next few days was greatly confused and centered upon the defense of Wao against many thrusts made by the Japanese from the southwest. Reinforcements continued to pour in and by February the 1st, Moten had 201 officers and nearly 3,000 soldiers at his disposal. The greatest threat to WoW was found in the Crystal Creek area, where the 2 and 5th Battalion was blocking the Japanese as smaller units attacked near Leigh’s Farm and the Black Cat Mine. On February the 3rd, Mo notified the New Guinea Force HQ that the, quote, crucial period of the WoW defenses had passed, and now he was releasing a larger portion of his forces to perform offensive operations. Now, just taking a bit of a sidestep back down south to the Buna-Gona area, by February the 7th, the entire Buna detachment had assembled at the Mambar River, where countless landing vessels totaling 20 barges or so were pouring down from Ley. These vessels were going to bring the men up to Ley, as two companies of the Okabe detachment would perform clearing operations along the Mambar River to try and establish a hold-off point, thus thwarting allied pursuers. By the 11th, the Japanese survivors would finally start their last journey towards Lao and Salamawa, but it was an agonizingly slow process because they would only move by night. By late April, the South Seas Detachment was finally evacuated in full to Rabaul, where the 18th Army finally dissolved them. The once most famous detachment of the Imperial Japanese Army was thus reabsorbed into the 55th Division, which was now going to be fighting in Burma. Back over in the WoW front, on February the 2nd, Major Wharf was ordered to attack Woody Island, but the Japanese were well dug in behind a steep banked creek. The Australians took heavy casualties, and they were forced to pull back. After two days, Wharf launched another attack on the 4th, this time with more information about the Japanese defensive positions, and with more artillery support. The Australians lashed out with artillery, motor, and machine gun fire, this time aimed at the known Japanese positions. Then the Australians performed a bayonet charge, forcing the Japanese to withdraw back to the Bolo River by the 6th. At the same time, the Japanese began to regroup around the Crystal Creek area to prepare for a possible withdrawal. Moton now grabbed the initiative by ordering the 2-5th and the 2-7th to launch a major offensive against the enemy, moving up a supply route. A new trail was cut eastward to the Jap Trail, using a junction to cut off the Japanese retreat. And a small unit of Australians took Lay's Farm on the 5th and burned all the buildings in its vicinity that might prove useful to the enemy. The Japanese were well dug in and they offered a determined resistance. As the Japanese were being pushed back towards the Crystal Creek area, they suddenly unleashed their first and only major attack against Wao. On February the 6th, 29 Ki-43 Hayabusa fighters and 9 ki 48 Lily bombers departed Lai to lay Waste to Wow's airfield. That morning, a routine flight of C-47s with eight P-39 Air Cobra fighter escorts were transporting men to the area when they stumbled upon some of the Japanese fighters. The Allied pilots claimed that they shot down no less than 11th aircraft in the scuffle, Having been alerted of the incoming airstrike, eight P-40 Kitty Hawks scrambled to help their pilots claim downing another seven Japanese aircraft. During the entire day of aerial engagements, Allied pilots would claim to down 23 Japanese aircraft. The Japanese inflicted only minimal damage upon the airfield, and they did manage to take down a single wearaway and a grounded Dakota transport, but that was not very much. The war over the sky was a decisive victory for the Allies at Wao. The following day, the 2 and 5th continued to put the pressure down upon the Japanese at the Crystal Creek area. For two days, the Australians hammered the Japanese positions which were held by men who were now on the brink of starvation, their rations having run out of them quite a while back. Allied artillery, motor and machine guns gradually pushed the Japanese out of the area. On the 9th, a major breakthrough was made as Company B of the 2 and 5th pushed through towards Skindawe, leaving many Japanese fleeing to the hills near Wendume. At this point, Okabe had determined the next best option was to pull the men back to Mubo, before his entire force was annihilated. Yet as the Japanese prepared for a final retreat, they were dealt a nasty surprise along the Jap track. The 2 and 6th battalion had effectively cut off the track, and they were harassing the desperate Japanese struggling to head east. Lieutenant Colonel Frederick Wood, leading the 2 and Six battalion, died, being shot right through the head, thus allowing a brief pause, in which the Japanese were able to break free and continue their retreat. To aid the struggling Japanese as they withdrew over in the Mubo area, a fresh detachment of men were sent to engage the Australian pursuers led by Major Worf. They managed to push back Worf's commandos around the Wapali area. It would only be by the 21st that Okabe's men managed to reach the relative safety of Mubo. But with that, the battle for Wau wow had come to an end. The Japanese had lost over a thousand men in their failed attack upon Wau, wow, while the Australians suffered around 350 casualties. Ultimately, It was the actions of Captain Sherlock and his men that had won the decisive point of the battle. They had delayed the Japanese advance long enough for the reinforcement of WoW to be met. For Sherlock's gallantry, he was mentioned in the dispatches as so. Captain Wilfred Holden Bill Sherlock, mentioned in dispatches. At Wendoumi, on the morning of the 28th of January, Sherlock's understrength company, bolstered by 20 men of the 2 and 5th Independent Company, were attacked by the main body of the Japanese force which was approaching Wao from the east along a disused track not known to the Australian defenders. Despite being reinforced during the afternoon, Sherlock's party remained heavily outnumbered, but held its ground until early the next morning. When one of his platoons had been overrun at 3pm, he had led a counterattack with fixed bayonets. Forced to withdraw shortly after 3am on the 29th of January, he took his troops across a single log bridge over the swollen Bololo River. Pursuing Japanese machine gunners fired upon them, Sherlock turned to face the enemy and was heard shouting defiantly above bursts of gunfire until he was killed. The grim determination, resolution, and courage of Sherlock and his men enabled the Australian Command to build up sufficient forces at WoW to defeat the Japanese assault over the next two days. Sherlock's leadership accounted in a large part for this achievement. I would like to take this time to remind all of you that this podcast is only made possible through the efforts of Kings and Generals over at YouTube. Please, go subscribe to Kings and Generals over at YouTube and continue to help us produce this content by checking out www.patreon.com slash kingsandgenerals. And hey, don't forget about our sister podcast over at The Age of Conquest, The Fall, and Rise of China podcast, written and narrated by me. And if after all that, you are still hungry for some more history, why don't you check out my personal channel, The Pacific War Channel, over at YouTube where I'm just now finishing up a multi-part series on aspects of the attack on Pearl Harbor you might not know about. Also, just a friendly reminder, I myself now have a Patreon account, which can be found at www.patreon.com slash thepacificwarchannel. And over there you can find exclusive content dedicated to things you want to hear more about that I can't cover in this podcast and other associated projects. Give it a look, it'll mean a lot to me. The battle for WoW was a catastrophic failure for the Japanese, and a rather remarkable achievement by the Australian forces on New Guinea. Captain Sherlock would be remembered as the man who had thwarted what could have been a Japanese seizure of a very important airfield.